The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. The Ice Age Trail is a 1,200-mile trail through the state of Wisconsin. Annie Weiss, in 2018, set the FKT of 21 days, 18 hours, and 7 minutes. She still has the women's FKT, by the way, but when she set that, she set the overall FKT. A new FKT has been set by the pride of Ottawa, Illinois, Corey Woltering set a blistering FKT of 21 days, 13 hours, 35 minutes on the 1,200-mile Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin, and Corey is my guest on The Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Corey. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, Corey, first off, I want to say it's a bold move for an Illinois person to go take on the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin and shoot for the FKT held by Wisconsin's treasure, Annie Weiss. That was a ballsy move, sir. Uh, Yeah. Um, So to be fair, I do a lot of training in Wisconsin. So (laughs) I think I'm like half Wisconsinite. (laughs) Okay. What's your favorite beer, Corey? That's going to be the ultimate test. Now, every one of the Wisconsin listeners is, is, is waiting on this answer. Favorite beer... Corey Woltering. Um, well, since I am kind of sponsored by a brewery, <laughs> um, I do. <laughs> I have to uh, think wisely about this one. Now, okay, okay, um, hang on. Because you're sponsored by a brewery, and Corey, please, please share with everyone the brewery that sponsors you. Yes, um, Tangled Roots Brewing Company out of Ottawa, Illinois. Okay, all right, so we'll, we'll change that question. Here's a better Wisconsin question. Favorite menu item at Culver's? Cheese curds. Oh, okay, all right. Okay, Corey, you passed the test. People in Wisconsin aren't going to be rioting. But it's great to have you on. And before we get into the story, this incredible journey of a 1,200-mile trail through the state of Wisconsin, uh, that Ice Age Trail. Let's kind of talk about about you first off. Let people know who Corey Woltering is. How did you get into ultra running? Um, Yeah, so I've always been pretty active, played sports growing up, um, all that fun stuff. Um, ultra running though came about when I was basically quitting triathlon and there was a friend that was like, Hey, you know, like I'm doing the Leadville 100 and I need a pacer and I need a crew person for it. And I was like, what, what is a pacer? Like, (laughs) like, I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Like I've never done a trail race before a trail event. He's like, Oh, it's someone that runs the, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I went and paced at the Leadville 100 fell absolutely in love with trail running. Um, I still thought people were just, um, out of their minds for running a hundred miles, but, um, I became really interested in it. Um, so I then ran my first marathon a little bit later and then, um, ran my first 50 K maybe a month or so after that. And, 
fell in love with it. So you must have figured too, looking at triathlons and you see the entry fee for a triathlon and you're like, my God, I have to go talk to the bank and take out a second mortgage. When you signed up for your first ultra, that 50 K and you're like, no, is that how much it is? That's it. Yeah. Um, it was it, like, I think I paid maybe like $55 for my first 50 K. And I was like, wait a second, like $55. Like I can't even sign up for a road marathon for $55. So it was, it was pretty funny. I was like, huh? Okay. I'll, I can deal with that. <laughs> what about the, the difference in an atmosphere? You know, you, you, you see triathlons and I did one years ago. I did like a sprint level triathlon just because I wanted to, to get something motivated to, to get me in shape. But the atmosphere from triathlons to road running to ultra running, what did you experience? Yeah, um, completely different on all levels, I guess. Um, I noticed that the trail running was basically like a giant party almost. I'm like, Mm -hmm. hmm, that's really fun. Um, And just super friendly people that were out on the trails. Um, and I just loved how, like, if someone's like, let's do a long run on Saturday, uh, you'd get a group of people and go out and run together. And it wasn't necessarily about watching your watch and the splits and all that. People are just going out and really enjoying that. Um, so that's kind of what got me into it. Like, I just, I absolutely loved that aspect of it. You progress pretty fast too. Cause you're from your first ultra, you saw some success pretty early on this i mean Corey, you're you're not that young i'm not gonna make it sound like Corey waltrain's 50 years old you're a young man (laughs) you've seen some success early on when did you when did you you know what experience did you have that made you go like "Ooh, i could really do this competitively and maybe even do this professionally um there are a couple things um one of them was my guess it would have only been my second ultra, uh, maybe my fourth trail race or something. Um, the silver rush 50 miler. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually loved Leadville so much after pacing there that I moved there for a while. Um, so, so where, I, you, where I are you spent, originally from before, before we get to that, where, where, where do you, where were you born and raised? Um, Ottawa, Illinois. So oh, okay. now I'm actually, so you went yeah. back home. Okay. Okay. So you, so Ottawa, Illinois, born and raised. Then you go yep. out to spend some time in Colorado. Okay. Yeah, I moved to Boulder for a little bit, then Leadville. Um, and so I like I just I love Leadville still. Um, but anyway, so I was doing the Silver Rush 50 miler. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I didn't sign up for it until like the week of. Um, and at the time I was training for the Chicago Marathon. And I was like, I want to try to hit the Olympic trials qualifying standard in the marathon. But then like everyone I knew was running silver rush. So I couldn't be left out and like, Hey, like I'm going to sign up. Um, and I finished fourth, but I missed the podium by 52 seconds and it was my first 50 miler. And so people are like, you should probably stick to trails. (laughs) I was like, I was like, um, like I'm still gonna, still gonna train for some marathons and stuff. Um, but then I, I guess it just kind of became one of those things where, training for marathon, I could still go up and race 50 K. Well, I could still race 50 miles. Well. Um, and then I finally ran five hours and 30 minutes for 50 miles at tunnel Hill. And that was kind of the turning point. God, five hours and 30 minutes for 50 miles. And it, that, that run gathered a lot of attention. All of a sudden, Corey Waltering is starting to get on people's radar 
that that must have been just the the accomplishment in that is that when people started really taking notice is after that tunnel hill run yeah um and so like it's funny because at the time like i still didn't have like a big sponsor or anything and um innovate found me through social media from just like looking at the results and they're like hey like we're starting our program back up like we'd love to bring you on like if you're interested so I started talking to them and it's funny because as I was talking to them, I'd also signed up for the North face 50 out in California, which is like three, which is like three weeks after tunnel Hill. And I thought that I was going to be recovered in time to still be able to come back and do that. Um, And I ended up dropping out of the North face 50 that year in like, I think I was still in like 10th or something through 50 K when I dropped and like, I just had nothing left in the legs at that point. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because um, that was also my 24th race of the year. And so <laughs> I think that I think it was more than just being tired from Tunnel Hill at that point. Um, but yeah, then I ran for Innovate for the next couple of years. And then I think it's so weird that you get this this Facebook message. You know, it's like you're posting pictures of your cat and all of a sudden boop, Innovate pops up and they're like, We'd like to talk to you about uh, running in our shoes and on a race team. I'm surprised that, you know, as jaded and bitter as we are, especially when it comes to uh, messages on the Internet, like everybody that wants to talk to me that looks like they're a 20-something-year-old Russian model, I know is horseshit. I know that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Ursula does not want to talk to me and that she's not real. And for you to go like, I don't think I'm being catfished. I think this really might be, be innovate. I think that's... That's a hell of a thing right there. Yeah. Um, so that that also leads into the North Face then a little bit a little bit later on. Um, because when they like they first contacted me, um, and like I thought it was spam, so I just deleted the messages <laughs> from like the I was like, whatever, like they're not talking to me. <laughs> so like, no big deal. <laughs> just like played it off like whatever and it was funny because the athlete manager actually like messaged me on multiple platforms like hey like i'd love to talk to you like let's just chat anyway and i'm just over here like deleting every single message that came in and and like i was like i don't know this just isn't real and so then um after like not responding for two days or whatever i get another message in there like hey Corey, like this really is like, this is us. Like, please contact us. I'm like, okay. I'm like, hello, the North face. Like if this is real, this is my phone number. Please give me a call. And, uh, it was real. <laughs> you know, if you didn't respond that next time, they were going to send Dean Carnassus to your house at Ottawa, Illinois, <laughs> and knock on your door and be like, hey, Corey, it's Dean. It's Dean Carnassus. I want to talk to you. The North Face people really want to try and get a hold of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was just really funny. Like, I didn't believe it. You look at their stable of athletes, though, and, and who North Face has had running for them over the years and Rob Crar and you know he's got an incredible amount of athletes that had to be kind of a, a surreal moment for you and I can completely see why you're like oh come on the North Face does not want it I, I'm not falling for this it had to be and when they when you found out that they really did want to talk to you about running for their team that had to be kind of a really surreal moment for you yeah absolutely um like obviously like 
we have a lot of great teammates and stuff. But at that time, I was just like, I'm still this kid from the Midwest that, you know, a lot of companies just kind of passed over for a long time. And um, I was still just trying to figure out my place in the ultra world of like, what did I really want to focus on? Like, what was was going to be my thing? What wouldn't, you know? And um, they're like, yeah, we just want to help you with it. Is there is there a North Face Christmas party where uh, Hal Corner, uh, you know, is, is photocopying his rear end and Dean Karnazes <laughs> has had too much to drink? Is there is there the North Face Company Christmas party? <laughs> no, but maybe we should start one. <laughs> I think you need you need to start one. Where did you find you're talking about, you know, trying to figure out who you were in this ultra running world? One of the things you're known for, Corey, is is running in a speedo. Yes. <laughs> um <laughs> And so the Speedo came when I was in a race in Florida, um, the endurance challenge down there. Um, and <laughs> I went to Florida thinking, okay, like I'm going to be near a beach. Like I'll bring a couple Speedos, like no big deal. Um, and I was apparently more focused on going to the beach than I was on <laughs> running the 50 K because I packed like four or five Speedos, but didn't pack like racing shorts. Um, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Time out, Corey. <laughs> I can understand having four or five Speedos now because it's kind of your thing. But before this was even your running thing, you had multiple Speedos to pack. Well, I swam in high school, so like I'm used to the speedo thing. But yeah, I had multiple to pack, and so like <laughs> just packed multiple, and just apparently didn't pack racing shorts. And so um, I was like, "All right, I, it looks like I'm going to be in a speedo uh, on the start line of this thing." And everyone's like, "Yeah, whatever. It's Florida. Go for it." <laughs> That's fantastic, Corey. I have one bathing suit. One. I've had it for 15 years. Um, it did during the fat years. It didn't fit very well, but it's starting to fit <laughs> a little better now. And thank God for that that tie strap because I can just tie it up real good and it fits. <laughs> and the, the fact that you had, you packed five speedos to go to Florida, you had like a Monday speedo and a Tuesday speedo. <laughs> you know it. So, so that kind of becomes your thing. Uh, I've noticed that the speedo is not your only race apparel now that you are wearing more traditional shorts. Yeah. Um, and that has only been because like, um, I just haven't felt like I've had a super great race in a while. So I was going to wait for the speedo to make a comeback until I was like fully healthy and ready to race again. So, uh, the shorts are just kind of like, all right, this is all me slowly getting back to where I need to be. Okay. Now, have you had any conversations with North face? Like, do they call you, you know, you're, you're on a, you're on a, a Microsoft teams meeting with the, uh, the president of North face and Dean Carnazes is there as well. Have you said like, guys, listen, I, I, I kind of love the gear. The kid is nice, but I would really like a North face performance running speedo. I've been pushing for one. So um we'll see what happens yeah you got to work on like work on the dingle dangle technology so there's not too much sway going on and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that that's oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) so so Corey, you see some success early on and you really uh, you know bring people to attention and and you're, you're running for north face and then you know you probably had a big year planned was 2020 gonna be a a a big year for Corey wolter um I had hoped it would be. Um, 
you know, 2019 wasn't the best. So I was like, all right, I'm getting back in shape and I'm like, just focused on racing again. And, um, I was like, I think that this is going to be a pretty good year. Um, and it started out decent and then COVID. Well, well, why was 2019 so bad, Corey backtracking for a second? Yeah. So I was out at the broken. Well, so 2019 is my first year racing for the North face. Um, and it was the first year I got to race any like international stuff, some of the bigger races and things. Um, and it was just really hard for me to figure out the travel aspect of it and being gone and, um, and wanting to basically race everything, but knowing that I can't Mm -hmm. necessarily race everything. Um, and so like I dropped out of probably four of my first five races of the year with like food poisoning, salmonella, um, different small injuries and stuff. Um, but finally finished like a race in Argentina and I'm like, okay, like I think I finally started to get the hang of this. And then I go to Japan for UTMF and it's the snow year. So I'm at like mile 90 when the race gets canceled and it was just kind of frustrating. And so I was going to back off a little bit and race some, um, domestic stuff and just kind of, get back in the groove of things. And so I'm out at broken arrow and just didn't feel good, um, for the vertical kilometer. And then ended up just passing out in my hotel room that night. Um, like completely blacked out, um, went to the hospital. They did a bunch of tests, blood work, all that stuff. And they're like, Nope, your heart's great. Like things look really good. Your blood's good. Like, um, they're just like, are you stressed? And I was like, I'm not stressed. (laughs) And and the doctor's like, do you hear the tone in your voice when you say that you're not stressed? And I was like, huh. I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm running for the North Face. I'm having fun. I get to travel. I get to do all these things. And they're like, but traveling is also stress. And then keeping up with the training on top of it and all the new environments. They're like, you're just tired. Huh. I was like, hmm. Okay. Um. So anyway, they didn't let me run for like four to six weeks or so as I was back home. I had to go to the cardiologist, get a bunch of tests done, had to wear the heart monitor for a couple of weeks straight, like all this stuff. And they're like, no, you're good. So not only was that going on, but I was racing Eco Challenge Fiji in September <laughs> and had a lot of skills I needed to learn for Eco Challenge. So then it basically took away like any running that I was doing and just had to focus on so many other things. So then like my running fitness is continuing to go downhill as all these other skills are happening. But um, yeah, so it was just a it wasn't the best year I've had when it came to running. Are you on a, are you going to be on that eco challenge show on Amazon prime? Yeah. Oh, so you're okay. I, I, I interviewed a guy who's on there as well. Jeff, Leining, yeah. Jeff Leininger. I just talked to him oh, yeah. not too long ago. So he was on that show as well. Uh, that's pretty cool. And that comes out in just a couple of weeks, right? Like early August. E- yep. August 14th, I think. Yeah. August 14th. You'll be able to see Corey and Jeff on eco challenge. And did you get to hang out with bear grills a little bit? Yeah. Did did you ask him about drinking his own piss? Uh, no, I did not ask him about that. <laughs> <All right>. so, <laughs> no. did, did the thought come into your head? Did you have to say, no, Corey, don't ask him that question? Uh, I had many questions for him, but I chose not to ask many of them. <laughs> okay. Um, do you think, though, because I, I don't think your experience is, 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 is uncommon, when you because you went from Corey Woltering the running pride of Ottawa, Illinois, and you had, you know, innovate, which is a, which is a, you know, a name brand, but 
all of a sudden now you're on Team North Face. And Team North Face carries with it a little more prestige and a little more clout behind it. So now you're going from Corey who wears Speedos and Innovates to Corey who wears Innovates, Speedos, and North Face kit. You've got that that shirt that no one else can get on and that pressure of being on this team with all these amazing people. Do you think maybe that was just like overwhelming? Um, I think there could have been some of that. And honestly, it was, I just tried to race way too much. Um, and, but you know, I, I figured that I could race a lot cause I had been racing a lot for the years before it, Yeah. but you know, a lot of the stuff was like, Oh, I can drive there the morning of race, drive back home. Whereas this is like, Oh, now I'm flying 19 hours to Hong Kong. Yeah, because think about so, you know, when you're at home, you can drink as much water as you want because, you know, you, you go you use the restroom. It's right around the corner. But for me, when I travel, it's like I'm on a plane. I'm like, I do not want to use that tiny little bathroom. And I always arrive <laughs> yeah. all of my destinations dehydrated and cranky. Totally. And then you, they, they give you two of those little tiny baggies of peanuts. And it's like, that's yep. not enough. Not enough food. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think there is just a, a mix of things going on. So, okay, so we go through that 2019 and then 2020 starting to turn around. You figured this thing out. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm Corey. I'm a, sp- a sponsored athlete. I can travel, but I've got to do this responsibly. I'm starting to put some pieces together. And then the Rona happens and things just get shut down. When did Ice Age become an idea? Um, not till about three weeks before I started it. Yeah. So like, like in May, basically, we we're just like, sure, let's go after the Ice Age Trail FKT. Um, and then I started June 1st. So most people would probably take a lot longer and plan. Um, I just, I don't know. I thought about doing it maybe three to five years down the road or something. Yeah. Um, but then this is like, all right, like I have no other races on the schedule at this point. Like my crew had nothing else that they were doing. So it's like, let's go for it. That's just, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny to think about just turning something around so quick. But I guess if you had fitness at that point, I mean, there's so many people have done really incredible things and FKTs are falling left and right because of just race fitness that you had nothing else to do with. You're like, well, what am I going to do with all this fitness? Is that kind of, was that a factor as well? Yeah. Um, so in April, we did like big run for small business where I ran every street of Ottawa, Illinois, mm-hmm. raised money for small businesses. Um, and so because of that, like I ran, I think it's like 204 miles in a 12 day period or whatever. Um, but like that little training block right there was enough to like jumpstart fitness a bit. Um, also, you know, like I had a great 10 week block going into black Canyon, um, raced way too cool in there and a couple other things mm-hmm. land between the lakes. So like I had the fitness there and then it was basically like, okay, like if you can just put in a few more weeks of training, um, after that, it's mainly just like maintenance until this thing starts. So I was like, let's go for it. But what about the planning of lo- logistics? I mean, it's a 1200 mile trail through the state of Wisconsin, some parts are easily accessible. I mean, there's parts in Milwaukee that, you know, I mean, God, Dick, your, your, your truck could ride by, your support vehicle could ride right beside you, essentially. But then there's other parts. How did, how did the logistic planning for the, for the FKT attempt come into play? Yeah, so we just, uh, I read the data book, read the guidebook, and then in May, we took a couple trips up to northern Wisconsin and kind of uh, checked out the more remote sections of it. Um, And on like the first trip up, I'm just like, 
you know, uh, they hadn't been able to do any sort of uh, maintenance on the trail since like mid March because of COVID. Yeah. And so from mid March until May 26th, I believe they weren't allowed to touch volunteers weren't allowed to touch the trail. So when I was out there in May, I was just like, Oh, like this trail is slightly more technical than I thought it would be, but like trees were down, like blazes were down, just all that stuff. And I was like, you know, like, I don't know that June is necessarily the best time to do this, but like, I still had nothing else going on and my crew was all ready to go. So I'm like, we're going to go through with it anyway. How do you convince a bunch of people to, to follow you around for 21 days? That's what I want. I want to know, Corey. Um, so Tangled Roots Brewing Company dropped off a ton of beer for us to bring up to Wisconsin. So um, <laughs> part of it was bribing people with beer. Um, part of it is bribing people with food. Um and then, yeah, you know, just just smile and be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey, let's talk about the FKT. You start off. Where did you where did you start? Uh, your, uh, your... St. Croix Falls. OK, so the western terminus. All right. So you're in St. Croix Falls. That's uh, western Wisconsin near La Crosse, right? A little north of La Crosse. Yep. So it's on the border of Illinois and not Illinois, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, about probably an hour north of La Crosse or so. Okay. So you, you get started there and, and this, let's walk it through. How, how did your first couple of days go out on the Ice Age Trail? Um, so the first day uh, was pretty funny because I updated my blog that morning. with like, here's a tracking link. Here's the donation link for the Ice Age Trail. If people want to donate to that, here's the donation link for the Feeding America fundraiser we were doing. Um, so I'm updating that and I'm like laying in bed. And it's probably like 4 a.m. and it wasn't going to start until 7. Um, so I'm laying in bed. And I'm like, oh, you know, like great morning to start. Like the weather is looking perfect. Like here we go. It should be a good day. And then I finally actually looked outside and there were rain clouds and it was gray. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe the weather wasn't so perfect whatever. Um, but anyway, so we start and there's a little bit of rain on the first day, but nothing crazy. Other than that, like the first day went pretty well until the afternoon when we crossed like some field somewhere and we come out of the grass with like probably 10 ticks on us at this point. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, like 10 ticks, like it's not awful, but it's more than you want on you at some point, but right. okay. Then we go back into the woods and we come out and we probably have 20 of them on us. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, like what's going on? Like there are way more ticks here than I remember there being up North, like what's happening. And my crew, as they're just even standing on pavement, just waiting for me to get around, like ticks are crawling on them. So like, they're like, we haven't even been in the woods and ticks are on us. And I'm like, I don't know. So that first day, the last probably, probably, probably three, maybe four hours of that last day were like just pulling ticks off and like, but you couldn't stop while you're out on the trail because then the mosquitoes would get you. And so it was this giant cycle of like, do you let the ticks crawl on you or do you take care of them and deal with the mosquitoes? Um, so day one, that's fine. Day two, um, I just wake up and here I'm like, okay, day two is going to be much better. Like we've got this. I'm eight miles into day two. I come out of the woods and probably had 30 to 40 ticks on me. And at that point I was just like, fuck this. I'm going home. <laughs> and like, so I was just like, I'm, I was like, I'm honestly done. And my crew is like, 
were only like 90 minutes into the day and and they could just see that like i was already just i was done and so my crew's like all right like you know we'll we'll figure out a way to do this or whatever and i'm like no we're not figuring this one out like i am so tired of this um and they just laughed at me and they're like no like dude like you have to get up and go and i was like okay well i will go back out into the woods but we need to have a solution for this by the time I finish this segment. So I go back out. I mean, I sat there for probably 90 minutes also, like just wasting time. Like just pouting? Were you pouting? Like, I'm not going out there. No, I just sat there and like, I wouldn't talk to them. I was just like, I I don't want to talk about this right now. Like, (laughs) let's just pack it up. We'll come back in September. It's fine. So I go, I finished this segment. And so here we are like 15 miles into the day. And I was like, really like i am 100 percent done with this like at this point it's like 87 degrees it's humid and the ticks are just crawling on me like <laughs> and i was just i was so over it because like i'm out in the woods a lot but i had never had a tick on my body before yeah and so like to go from never having them on my body to having you know 30 to 40 at one time is just mind-blowing yeah and so i was like i'm I was like, I'm honestly done. And like, I even took my gear off, put it in the van as like, I'm completely done with this. And one of my crew members is like, just sit down in the chair, have a beer, eat some lunch. You'll be fine. And I was like, if you think I'll be so fine, then you can go out in the woods with me then. <laughs> and they're like, okay, <laughs> like I'll go with you. <laughs> and so it, like the first day and a half like especially day two was just this giant struggle of like do i still want to do this or should i just come back and figure out a different time and the trail in that section is also not the best marked either Mm -hmm. and so like there are times where we'd be walking up to grasses walking through grasses up to our neck like just crazy stuff like that but we survived day two and um and I was still pretty up like mostly throughout that day, but like I finally got over it and we got onto like a Jeep road to kind of end the day. And I'm like, Oh, well this is fine. Like there aren't any ticks on the Jeep road. So I'm like, let's just keep on going now. Right. And there's a storm, but there's a storm that was coming in and like my crew's like, you know, you can probably just move faster if we wait until tomorrow to keep going. I'm like, Nope. Like I haven't been running most of this day. I've been dealing with ticks, but now I'm running. So like, we're all going to do this. Like, let's go. And so we spent the next couple hours running through the storm, but like finally made up some decent mileage. Um, and so I don't know, like day two is just like this giant mess that, you know, you can come up with plans of how you think things are going to go and they can fall apart at any time. But we didn't think that, you know, the plan would be falling apart on day two. Um, but you know, whatever you, you deal with it and you move on and keep going. Um, but then after that, like things are good until day five, um, still decently slow moving, but the first 300 miles of the thing are always slow. Um, and then I rolled my ankle on day five, just somewhere walking through like mud. That's like ankle to shin deep mud with layers of water on top of that and stuff and just stepped on something wrong and rolled my ankle and like no big deal or at least i didn't think it would be um because you'd i mean everyone rolls their ankle at some point and like it's normally like ouch that kind of hurt then there you go right well for 
but for me, it ended up being like, ouch, that kind of no big deal to like, oh, now we have some swelling going on. And over the next few days, it kept getting bigger. By like day eight, we're dealing with like a baseball size ankle. What? So. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. First of all, Corey, we'll, we'll pause right there for a minute. What solution did your crew come up with for the ticks? And did you ever figure out why you were attracting ticks so much? Yeah. So the ticks are just. I guess this year they're just supposed to be bad. Um, everybody's that's been up there has just been like, this is, an, uh, this is just an awful year for them. Yeah. Um, and with the lack of maintenance that was able to be done, like everything was just like a free for all up there. Um, so the solution for the ticks was to take duct tape, but put the sticky side out and then put it around your ankles. Um, so as the ticks like are falling off of stuff and into your shoes and onto your shoes, then they start to crawl up your legs and they get stuck to the duct tape. So you were running around with duct tape, sticky side out around your ankles. Yep. Okay. But then I guess that that actually does help you because you roll your ankle and it's getting more and more swollen. Were you able to tape it with duct tape and then put the other side out? Um, so what I had to do for the ankle was I was basically just running in compression socks from there on out. Yeah. Uh, or at least for the next few days, just trying to like um, help it. We had used KT tape on it. We had to do all these different things. And like it was just getting to the point where like the compression socks weren't helping it. The KT tape wasn't helping it. Um, so here I am like, at this point, I'm just walking. Um, I had never used trekking poles until this FKT attempt. And the only thing I could think of was like trekking poles are the only thing that will be able to take some of the pressure off of my ankle. Yeah. So here I am like walking in some of the more runnable sections um, and just walking with trekking poles. Like, all right, like I covered, you know, 28 miles or whatever in 12 hours. And I'm like, that's my day. Like, so instead of covering the 40 to 50 miles that I was hoping to be covering, I'm just like losing a bunch of time and there you go. Um, but anyway, we had a couple of people that wanted to come out and run with me on day eight or nine. Um, is eight or nine? Can't remember. Yeah. Well, every day it was. Um, and they're like, Oh, well, you know, you're not really running right now, but we'll walk with you. It's fine. And they're like, Oh, by the way, like we know a sports chiropractor, you know, this person, you know, that person, like, we'll see if we can get you in tonight so that he can check it out. So I'm like, okay. So they make some calls and they get me an appointment for like 6 PM or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, Hmm, great. Like, here we go. So go to the sports chiropractor, um, have them look at it. And they're like, well, nothing is deaf. Like nothing's broken for sure. Yeah. And they're like, um, they're able to do some laser therapy on it and a couple other like manipulation things to at least get some range of motion back in my ankle. Um, so I saw him that night and then I saw him the next morning and then continued out on the trail, um, which was amazing because just even getting some range of motion back helped a ton. Um, cause at that point I was able to walk a little bit faster and even do some slight jogging, even though it just, it hurt, but like, at least I was able to move faster. Um, so like, it seems crazy, but I walked for the next basically four days without doing much running at all, just yeah. walking. And then finally there's one day that like I went to bed, my ankle is still swollen and woke up the next morning and the swelling was gone. Really? Like, I have no idea how to explain it. Like I slept in compression sleeves, like, you know, foot to like knee compression sleeve type things. Um, and it's really funny because we actually had a camera crew that was with us doing a mini documentary thing. And so like they were filming 
like, you know, like before I go to bed that one night and then they were actually in the room the next morning when I woke up Yeah, and they want to, and they wanted to film like me getting out of bed and stuff. And like, I go put my legs over the bed, just put my feet on the ground and stand up. And then I'm like, Hmm, didn't hurt to stand up today. Like it's the first time it hasn't hurt yeah. in a while. And, and it, like they're zoomed in on it and like, you can totally see that my ankles back to normal. And it's like, wait a second. What? <laughs> like, wow. Like, how did that happen? Like, I have no, like, we have no idea how that actually happened, but like, it went back to normal size. <laughs> and That's like, incredible. I, yeah. Like, we still, we just, we laugh about it because like, it, it should not have happened like that. And we have no idea how it did. So Corey, you're, you're eight or nine, you're 10 days into this thing and you're, you're walking, you're losing valuable time. The FKT that Annie set is a stout FKT. I mean that you've got to be moving to make that happen. You've got miles, you've got to get in and you're just not getting those miles in. Why didn't you bag it at that point and, and maybe try again? What kept you going on this attempt? Um, you know, so I figured out that if I would walk for 22 hours a day and only sleep for an hour and eat for an hour that I'd still have a shot at the FKT, um, really didn't want to be out there walking for 22 hours a day, but I was prepared to do it if that's what it was going to take. Um, but honestly it was more the fact that like I had my crew here, I had my supplies, I had everything I needed to be able to get it done. So I was like, I just had faith that somehow um, I'd either be able to push through the pain or like things would start to kind of heal themselves. Um, and like even Pete sent a message on, um, Instagram or something. And Pete's like, yeah, you know, during these multi-day things, like stuff's going to go wrong. Like things are going to hurt. And like the body will start to heal itself if you let it. And I was like, yeah, that's what most people say. Like, but normally that means take time off and let it heal itself. Right. And he's like, he's like, no, it's forward motion. And so like, we just kept forward motion going. That was Pete Kostelnik, right? Yeah. Just getting that message like, yeah, keep going. You're like, oh, God, it's yeah. Pete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you have to go so, like, is this really Pete? Is this like when the North <laughs> Face tried to get me? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah. It, your, your ankle, you wake up that morning, the film crew is there. They get this miraculous yeah, your ankle that was the size of a baseball the night before, and now it's back to normal. And you head back on the trail. How did the how did the second half go? Uh, pretty decent because like we were finally getting into an area where there is like a I don't know, I think we had like thirty miles of bike path or something like that coming up. So mm-hmm. it was like perfect. Like I can actually run again, and we have a bunch of bike path to start the day. And so like it was great because all of a sudden I'm like hmm, I haven't run in a while, and so things are going good. Things are going well. And then like, as this is going on, like more people are coming out to like, kind of see me or pace or whatever. Um, even though I had a couple pacers and, um, so like it's building momentum and it was fun and just really enjoying it. And like, yeah, like there are things that definitely hurt. And, um, but it was like, I don't know. I just felt like I should keep going. Um, and so the second half went really well. You got a lot of press too. I even noticed I have family in Wisconsin and, uh, they, the gentleman who is dating my sister-in-law uh, messaged me on Facebook going like, Dude, have you seen this guy? This Corey Waltering guy is going to, is going to set the FKT on the ice age trail. And you got some, you have some pretty good press out of the, out of the uh, event. Yeah. Which was totally unexpected because you know, it's the ice age trail. 
um, I didn't think that very many people are actually paying attention to this <laughs> or like whatever. Cause I'm like, I don't know. Just, I didn't think that people cared that much. Um, and then it became this big thing, which was just really shocking to me. Did people come out and see you that saw you on the TV news or read about you in the paper? Yeah. And like people would add like my crew on Facebook and ask if we needed anything. Like people are dropping off cupcakes and lasagna and like food and stuff for us. Like people are bringing beer, um, like just all kinds of awesome things, like which I just thought was so cool. Um, but it was so unexpected because like, I don't know. It's an FKT attempt on the ice age trail. Like most people like (laughs) don't even know what the ice age trail is. Um, and yet like some of these people are people that don't even run and they're just like, Oh, we saw you on the news and then we followed your spot tracker. Wow. That's, that's really pretty cool to, to bring that many people just to be aware of there's people that do these crazy things and you may have inspired some people to do some pretty cool things. Yeah, well, and that would be awesome. And like another thing, like there are even people that were like, you know, I I live five minutes from the Ice Age Trail, but I didn't even know what the trail was until you ran it. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that's awesome though, but yeah. it just blows my mind. The governor is going to have to give you honorary Wisconsin citizenship. <laughs> they don't grant that to many people from Illinois, but the governor may just have to to give Corey honorary Wisconsinite. Uh, uh, you're not a Bears fan, are you? Um, I'll be whatever fan you guys want me to be. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> so how does it end, Corey? You're, you're, you're wrapping up those days. You see that FKT is in sight. You were thinking maybe, oh, God, it's going to be miserable if I have to walk 22 hours a day. But you're running again, and you're getting those miles in, and things are starting to to move in a, in a good direction. When did you sense that the FKT was going to happen? And then and, and, and on from there. Um, so with like two days to go, um, I had like 48 hours to cover like 158 miles or something like that, which is a lot. Um, and so I'm like, all right, like, here's what you're doing crew. Like, we're going to have a good sleep, like three nights, two, uh, four nights before, I guess it was, uh, three nights before I'm like, we have to pull an all nighter and I'm like, this kind of sucks, but this is what we have to do. So let's do it. Um, and so like, it took like a 20 minute nap and then I was up all that whole next day. And then here we are like sleeping for like four hours and we have two days to go. And I just told my crew, I'm like, we're not sleeping till this thing finishes. And they're all looking at me like, that's a really long time to stay up. I'm like, yep, but here's what we're going to do. So, um, with like 158 miles or whatever it was, um, I ran my first hundred of that section in 2330. And, and people are just like, so let me get this straight. <laughs> you're still running sub 24 for a hundred miles. And they're like, you're on day basically like 20 of this thing or whatever. And right. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and like, yeah, here's what we did. And so like, I ended up running like 105 miles straight and then stopped at a crew spot and slept for 20 minutes, ate breakfast, then got up and ran the last 50 whatever miles. Um, and like I was actually running for most of the last 150 or so miles. And it was just like so weird and so awesome to go from being like that broken down that early on to then running that strong to end the thing. Um, but like, I don't know, it never necessarily felt like the FKT was definitely in sight because I know how quickly things can change on that trail. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, I mean, 
just literally the smallest things at that point could end up taking hours at times. Oh yeah, you look at. It, I mean, you're, you're, you know, Annie's FKT is huge, and it's still going to be the women's FKT, and you went under that by you know four hours, essentially. Um, that was just. Did she run it all with you, or, or contact you about this? Yeah, so she ran with me. Um, oh boy, well, it was actually when I was walking, so it was probably like probably day seven, I think, yeah. or something like that. She came out for. Oh, I don't know, maybe hour and a half or two hours and walked with me for a segment or two. Um, and then Jason that had the men's FKT, he also came out, um, probably day 10 or so. And Mm -hmm. then Jason's wife actually came out and ran with me, uh, somewhere day 12 or day 14 or something, somewhere in there. That's really, really cool. You get to that finish, though. You know it's going to happen because you're looking down and you've got, what, five miles left and you've got how many, plenty of hours that you could walk it in. How was that the ending of this scene that is, this is going to be a reality? Um, so the ending of this was actually really funny because I was walking a lot of those last miles because um, it started just raining extremely hard for just, just a few minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. But like it had been raining long enough at this point that I hadn't had any blisters or whatever in the first 21 days of this thing. I'm like, we're good. Like things are looking really good. And then with seven miles to go, I stop and I'm like, I'd like to change my shoes. I'd like to change my socks. I want to feel really good for the finish. And I go to take my shoes and socks off and I have two giant blisters on my pinky toes. And then I have blisters that were starting to form between other toes as well. Cause I had just gone through like this really wet, but kind of sandy area also. And I guess like, whatever my feet weren't happy about it and i'm like this is kind of comical that you know i'm getting my first blister at seven miles to go in this thing um but like it hurt and so i was just like my feet are kind of numb but they they're still stinging from the blisters and so like i was moving extremely slow for those final seven miles and i was like all right like this is taking a really long time which people laughed at me for saying that seven miles is taking a (laughs) long time when you know we've been out there for over three weeks um but i finally enter the park and so I kept asking my crew, my pacers, I'm like, how much farther do we have once we get to the park? And they're like, oh, it's only like a mile or something. It's actually like three and a half miles, I think. And so like, <laughs> it, it was a lot longer. Like, I'm like, this is a really long mile. Like, how far are we? Um, <laughs> and so like, I was, it was almost like, I don't know. I was just hungry. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing. I was just hungry. So here we are. And we finally get to the final climb and it's like maybe a half mile climb that you have to get up to the rock. And then like you're there and it starts just pouring like hardcore pouring. And we thought we'd be finishing before dark. So we didn't bring a headlamp, but like it was dark enough with all the clouds and stuff that like I'm navigating this final section of the trail without a headlamp. And it was just really funny. Cause I get to the finish and people are like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like a beer. <laughs> They're expecting some inspirational quote. And that was yeah. your inspirational. That was, honestly, Corey, that's the most Wisconsin thing you could have said. Had you finished yeah. and said something like, you know, like n- never give up and achieve your dreams. And if I can do this, imagine what you can like something really inspiring. The most Wisconsin thing for you to say would be, I just want a beer. That's that's it. 
Yep. So that's what we, that's what I had, and then, uh, but there are probably thirty people that were at the finish. Wow. Um, yeah, like people that we had met along the way that he had either dropped food off or whatever. Like they came to the finish to watch this thing. Um, so that was pretty awesome because like like there's one person that they said they drove for like four and a half hours to come watch the finish. Wow. And I was like, that's really cool. Um, that's amazing, actually. Um, totally wasn't expecting that, but it was also just really funny because, like, I was moving so slow at the finish that people were waiting for quite a while. <laughs> right. right. They, were si- they were sitting there for a while. But what an amazing story. And, and you raised money for not only the Ice Age Trail, but also for Feeding America, which made it, you know, you weren't just out there by yourself. Did that inspire you at all? Knowing that people were watching and donating, did, did it help you get through some of those hard times? Yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, even on like day two, it was still one of those things. Like we are doing this fundraiser, like you need to keep moving. Yeah. Um, I was hoping that I wouldn't have to like draw on that inspiration until like, you know, day 18 <laughs> or something, but on day two, that's fine. Um, but yeah, like it's awesome. Feeding America is a great organization and provides, you know, like literally billions of meals to people, um, in the States. And so, um, I just wanted to do that fundraiser and figure that'd be a great way to kind of stay motivated when the trail really started to suck at times. When you're thinking, man, I got this well of inspiration for day 18 when this sucks and you're running that well dry at day two, that just goes to show you, it doesn't always turn out the way you would think, right? Absolutely. (laughs) And so it was, it was pretty funny because I'm just like, Oh boy. Like, here we go. But I'm like, all right, let's get it done. Like I can do this. (laughs) Corey, one thing I wanted to talk about is the time when you did it. You know, not only are we dealing with the coronavirus, but there's a lot of civil unrest. You're a black man. You're also openly gay. And so, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, that whole situation happens. The George Floyd situation happens. There's riots, you know? Um, and, And here's, it's interesting, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, there are a lot of rural, very country areas of Wisconsin. And I say this as someone who was born and raised there. You know, it's not all Madison and Milwaukee. There's a lot of, you know, people, there's, there's racism in the state of Wisconsin. There, I said it. It's not everybody, but it's there, right? Was there fear as a, as a black man going and running through some very rural parts uh, of, of Wisconsin was that in their head at all um yeah you know that can be a fear and like for us it's definitely something that I don't know any of us in the crew necessarily discussed it with each other before we started but it was definitely said to other people before um and like there are even some people that are just like wow like be careful um and yeah. it wasn't like be careful running it was just like be careful of where you're going to be going um especially like the northern part of wisconsin that this thing is you, yeah um yeah well <laughs> again but was, there's great there's, the state is filled with wonderful awesome incredible people but there are pockets of that there's pockets of that everywhere and if we pretend like it isn't i think it's kind of stupid to go like well there's no there's all the world's full of wonderful people and we all hold hands and sing kumbaya together yeah, um, absolutely. And so, like, for me, I was just like, all right, like, this is what I want to do. And, like, at this time, though, I actually felt that it was more important to do something like this now, um, just because, like, there 
aren't necessarily a ton of positive stories about people of color being told right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is a great time that, you know, you can, that I could be that light for, you know, a little bit and give people something to follow for three weeks. And, um, also just showcase that, like, we didn't necessarily have any negative experiences while we were out on the trail, um, whether it was Northern Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin, whatever. Um, but at the same time, we also got to show the stories of people of Northern Wisconsin that were coming out and supporting and being, you know, just extremely helpful with it. And many of them, like, I don't even know that they were runners. Um, right. And so that was the really cool thing where it's like, there is, there is a positive story to be told right now. People are bringing you lasagna. When someone brings you lasagna, that means they like you, Corey. Yeah, I guess so. But you're you're kind of you're you're in a minority in a lot of a lot of ways, Corey. And you know, there's not a whole lot of you know, black trail runners. The ultras, I mean, it's 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 white. Let's just be honest. It's yep. a very white scene. There's also not a lot of openly gay trail runners as well. And there's not a lot of great mountain runners from Ottawa, Illinois. I mean, you, you don't have the big mountains to train in, Corey. Uh, so you, <laughs> yeah. you, you kind of ch- check a lot of boxes. Why do you think, you know, trail running isn't as diverse? And are there things you think that can be done to help encourage more minority participation in the sport? Yeah. Um, so, like, I didn't even know what trail running was until six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I apparently had never like, I don't know. I, I knew what bad water was. Yeah. Um, but like, even then, like I didn't realize that that's something that like normal people do, which I don't know that normal people necessarily <laughs> sign up for bad water, right. but, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah. So like, I really didn't even know what ultras were. Like, I didn't know that Badwater is technically an ultra. I just thought it was this, this race that goes through Death Valley in July. Um, but it's funny because we have, you know, the Kettle Moraine 100 um, is like the, I think the 12th oldest, like 100 mile race in the country. Yep. And it's only, and it's only like 90 minutes from my house. Right. Um, and so it was just one of those things where, like, how did I not know that this thing was happening for years or even like superior? Right. Um, I didn't know like superior has been around since I was born and like, I didn't, I'd never heard of it until 2018. Um, and so it was, I guess part of it's like, if there isn't necessarily awareness of this sport that's out there, then um, how are we going to, you know, help increase diversity and promote diversity if like people just don't even know what it is. Um, And so there's that. And then just access to trails. Like if we want people to go, like we need to organize events. We need to have things going on to encourage people to venture outside of their comfort zone and go do these things. And then at the same time, we also need to be like, one of the big things that people tell me is they're like, I just don't see a lot of people like me in the sport. So I don't always feel comfortable going to these things. So I think it's very important for us to like, make sure that it is known that trail running should be something for everybody and encourage people to go out and try something new. Have you experienced racism and homophobia in trail and ultra running? Um, I would not necessarily say to my face no uh i have not necessarily um not outwardly anyway there have just been a couple little things but like overall i'd say no um so yeah it's like i've always felt pretty welcome in the sport okay so if someone's listening that's like i don't see a whole lot of people like me in that sport know that 
it's not some place where you won't you won't you won't feel unwelcome in trail and ultra running. It seems like the community is a very welcoming community because we all kind of have our things and no one judges anybody's things more than anybody else. And you know we all have you know we all come from different backgrounds and it's just kind of a a collection of people who like to do extreme things. I guess we put it totally, absolutely. Um, and then like another thing that comes down to like marketing and advertising and like trail runner magazine, ultra runner magazine stuff like that, like. Um, if like a lot of the times you just see a bunch of like white people trail running or white people (laughs) camping or whatever, um, and not even just them, but like REI and like whatever. So, um, like another big complaint is that people don't see like them in the ads that they're marketing to and stuff like that. So like, that's just another thing that can be changed to help show that, you know, like it is a sport that people can do. Have you had these discussions? Like everybody with, can do it. Yeah, we have. Have you had these discussions with North Face? Like, hey guys, we need more minority representation in our advertising. Yeah, um, so there are definitely a lot of discussions that are going on, especially right now, um, and even before they, the discussions had been started. And now it's just, I think it's extremely important, and they also agree that it is important. Um, and so I think that we'll start seeing some changes with that. And then also like um, with the North Face Explore Fund, like they we the company donates money to different programs that are trying to promote you know um, minority participation in outdoor activities and stuff. So like that's one way to do it. And in other ways, like we also need to be sending athletes um, to these things to um, be at these events with people. Um, I think that's huge. Good stuff, Corey. What are you looking forward to doing when the world kind of? nudges back to normal um you know i really don't know um i'd love to race again and um like but it'd be nice to be able to race in the sense of like you can actually have the pre-race meeting and then you can have the post-race party um and i don't think i've ever necessarily said that i've been looking forward to a pre-race meeting but (laughs) at this point But at this point, like I'm, I'm all for it. Like I, I would love to actually sit around and have a meeting with people. Corey's like, please, please go over the the course with me, mile by mile, in excruciating detail. I want to sit through and you read all those rules in the handbook to me one by one. I just want to be with runners in a room where we can all go kind of back to normal. Yep. (laughs) So, like, I'm actually looking forward to that, um, as crazy as that may sound. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 